You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, today we are finishing up the letter of James. And I said this last week, um, I actually said it twice last week, that I hope this walk through the letter of James has been as good for you, as fruitful for you as it's been for me. James is out to show us that faith works. This is the point he's making. This is what he's wanting to press down into us. Faith works. This is a letter of action. It's all about moving and doing and acting and obeying. Uh, Yes, faith saves. Uh, James is so clear on that. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. James is trying to show us that faith works. It it, it moves. It, It does. In the letter of James, there's 108 verses. In those 108 verses, there are 59 commands, 59 out of 108 verses. That's more commands per square inch than any other book of the Bible. Faith works. This is what James is trying to show us. Or you could think of it this way. Uh, The scriptures clearly show us that all of those who are in Christ are new creations. This is what we are in Jesus. And the letter of James was written to show us what the life of a new creation actually looks like. Faith works. This is what he's been showing us week in, week out as we have been traversing and walking through the letter of James. He has shown us that faith works in suffering. It works in temptation. It works against favoritism. It works in our fights, in our wealth, in our waiting. And now in the last two verses, of the letter of James, James has one more way he wants to show us that faith works. Faith works in watchfulness. Faith works in watchfulness. Look at these last two verses. James says, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's take these two verses in two parts. Two verses in two parts. Here's part one. We are prone to wonder. And here's part two. In light of that, we must be watchful. So let's take part one. We are prone to wonder. James says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, here is something I believe about myself, and I hope you believe it about you. Um, I, I believe I have a unique capacity to wreck my life. I am never more than three seconds away from absolutely wrecking everything. It's humbling to know that, but it's true. Uh, We love to sing that old hymn, Come Thou Fountain. And do you remember that line right in the middle of that hymn uh, where the hymnist says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Now, I I don't just believe that because of my own personal experience walking with the Lord. That that is one reason that I believe I have a unique ability to, to wreck my life. But I also believe that because I think the scriptures teach that. Um, It's amazing to think about the biblical heroes. Think about the people in the Bible that you most admire and look up to. Uh, Think about people like Abraham and Moses and David and Peter. And uh, think about Abraham for a moment. Uh, Abraham, although he is, yes, the father of, in a lot of ways, our faith. He is also the person that, that tried to give his wife away twice in order to save his own skin. Or how about Moses? Moses straight up murdered a man. 
Or how about David? Uh, David, this brother stole a man's wife and murdered uh, her husband to cover it up. Or how about Peter and all of his boldness and Jesus, there's no way I'll ever deny you. In the moment it mattered most, Peter did deny Jesus. He did walk away from Jesus. So what is the Bible trying to show us with these heroes, with these biblical heroes? It's not just that the worst of us are capable of wrecking our life. It's that the best of us are uniquely capable of wrecking our lives. I love how John Bunyan illustrated this in The Pilgrim's Progress. Christian is the man that God rescued and is promising to bring safely home. So Christian begins the Christian journey and he is walking along the straight and narrow path with Jesus. But temptations line that path, all sorts of temptations. And one came in the form of what looked to Christian like a shortcut and wondering was just irresistible to him. He just couldn't say no to it. So Christian and his sort of traveling companion, his community, faithful, Christian and faithful, they left the path and they soon found themselves in a storm. Now that has all sorts of biblical imagery. When we leave the straight and narrow path with Jesus, we often find our lives in all sorts of problems. So they found themselves in a storm. And in the middle of being in that storm, they were captured by this huge giant. And the giant's name was Despair. They were captured by the giant of Despair. And the giant called Despair then led them back to his castle. The castle was called the Castle of Doubt and locked them down in the dungeon of the Castle of Doubt. Now, what is John Bunyan showing us there? He's showing us that the rescued need rescuing again. And so goes the story of our lives. We are prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love. Now, why is that true? Why are we prone to leave the God we love? Well, the scripture gives us multiple reasons, but here are two. Um, One is because of Satan, that we have a real enemy plotting real plans uh, to, to ruin our life with Jesus to seduce us away from Jesus, to lead us away from Jesus. In Luke chapter four, Jesus is being tempted by Satan for 40 days. And the last verse in that passage in Luke chapter four is, has always been such a terrifying thing for me to read. And here it is in Luke chapter four, verse 13. The scriptures say, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Isn't that sobering to think that we have an enemy lurking in the shadows who will wait for years to bring just the right temptation at just the right time to wreck our lives. This is one of the reasons that we are prone to leave the God that we love. We have a real enemy called Satan, but we're also prone to wonder because of the flesh because of the flesh. Our biggest problem is not out there. Our biggest problem is in here. And the flesh is describing that problem that's in here. The flesh is the Bible's word to talk about our inner desires that have been deformed and distorted by sin. You could think of the flesh this way. It's the internal part of you that's at war with God. That's the flesh. Now, let me just put this in a, in a metaphor or a picture for you. Imagine for a moment that your heart is a territory. So, so that's what your heart is. It's, it's a territory. And before Jesus saves a person, sin was the ruling authority in the capital city that, that runs the territory of your heart. 
Sin was the ruling authority. Our, our desires were so deformed and our wants so wayward that we joyfully submitted to the master of sin in our life. And then at the moment of your conversion, when Jesus rescues us, Jesus comes in and he dethrones sin from the capital city. He dethrones it. He pushes it out of the capital city. And Jesus sets himself up as the new governing authority over the territory of our heart in the capital city of our heart. Uh, But notice, and this just explains so much of the Christian life. Notice this. When Jesus saves us, the flesh was dethroned, but not yet destroyed. It's dethroned, but Jesus, at the moment of our conversion, does not destroy that old part of us that's at war with God. We still have that enemy called the flesh in us, that dethroned enemy, that part of us that's, that's warring with God and doesn't trust God. That dethroned enemy has retreated back away from the capital city in our heart, back into the jungles of our heart. And there from the jungle, the flesh wages this guerrilla war constant surprise attacks, ambushes, doing what it can, when it can, to unseat Jesus, the rightful king in our heart. That's what the flesh is doing right now in your life and in my life. This is why we are prone to wonder. It's not just an enemy out there that's our problem. It's an enemy in here. Now, James has actually talked about this. In James chapter four, James says this, what causes quarrels and and what causes fights among you? Here is James's answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He's saying that there is a battle going on, a, a, this war going on in you. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So uh, let's think about this. For all of those in Jesus, yes, sin has been dethroned in you. Yes, Jesus is the new ruling master of your heart. And yes, at the same time, there is still a war raging in us between remaining sin and the reigning Jesus. There is a war going on inside of this. This is why we are prone to wonder, uh, prone to leave the God that we love. Now, here's what I'm pressing for today. I I want you and I want want myself, I I want us to all have a healthy distrust of ourself. I want us to know that even on our best day, we can fall to the worst of sins. You're capable of that. I'm capable of that. We are all capable of mind-blowing, high-handed, God-offended, people-destroying evil. I I am capable of that. You are capable of that. And I want us to feel that deep down in our bones. Uh, This week, I I was just thinking about uh, my just personal journey with the Lord. I've been following Jesus for about three decades now. And it is sobering for me to watch so many friends who started off so well in their journey with Jesus to just wither and die in their journey with Jesus. To, to wander from the path, to get snatched up by the giant of despair and to be imprisoned in the castle of doubt. I've just seen that happen so many times over the years. 
Even among my pastor friends, I've just seen so many pastors who, who, who were once burning so brightly for Jesus, uh, gone, completely out of ministry, walking away from Jesus. And none of us are immune to this. You're not immune from it. I'm not immune from it. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. In light of that, we must be watchful. This is part two. We must be watchful. And our watchfulness really comes in two forms. In two forms. The first is personal watchfulness. Personal watchfulness. This passage is a warning and it's a reminder to keep a close watch on our lives so that we don't wreck our lives. It's a warning and a reminder. Jesus gives us this sort of a reminder. In Mark chapter 13, verse 38, Jesus says, watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh it is so, so weak. Paul gives this reminder to his son in the faith, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, Paul says, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. You're gonna have to have personal watchfulness. Keep a close watch on yourselves. Now, how do we do that? How do we keep a watch on ourselves? Well, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, a lot of ways to do that, but let me just give you a couple of ways. One way is to know yourself. We're all made in the image of God, which says something about um, the commonalities that we all have as human beings as we reflect the nature of God. But we aren't just all made in the image of God. We are all made uniquely in the image of God. It's an amazing thing to watch all the similarities between people and to also see the amazing differences that exist between us. Uh, there are some things that are going to be very tempting for you that aren't going to be tempting to my heart. And there's other things that are gonna tempt my heart to turn from Jesus that aren't going to tempt your heart. This is why we have to labor to know ourselves, our wiring, our temperament, the particular areas of vulnerability. So that we can build safeguards in our life uh, to keep us from, from leaving Jesus and, and wandering away from Jesus. Uh, think about it this way. If you were Satan and you wanted to wreck your life, how would you go about doing that? That's what it means to know yourself. It means that you have a sense of, of what those strategies would be, where, where your particular vulnerabilities are. And if you're not overly aware of those, that would be a great question to ask your friends, the community that you run with, maybe your spouse, to get a sense of what are those particular areas that I need to know about myself so that I can build safeguards in my life. So one way we can be personally watchful is to know ourselves. Another way is to beware of sin's beginning to beware of the beginnings of sin in our life. Uh, picture for a second, two yards. And in each of these two yards are trees. In yard number one, there is this massive 75 foot tall oak tree, huge trunk, these massive branches. Uh, but then in yard two, there's also an oak tree, uh, but this oak tree is about six inches tall. It's just added its fifth leaf. Now, imagine someone coming to you and saying, here's the job. This is the job I need you to do. It is time to cut down the tree in the yard. Now, what yard are you hoping he's talking about? You're hoping he's talking about the tree in yard two, right? 
The tree in yard two takes one little tug, but the tree in yard one, that one takes a whole army and like a week's worth of work to get that one uprooted and out of the yard. Now, let that be a metaphor for how sin works in our life. That's the difference between seeing and dealing ruthlessly with sin in the beginning when it's down in our affections or waiting, right? This is yard one or or waiting until sin has grown and dug itself in and blossomed in our life into all sorts of actions. And those actions have been repeated enough to where they have become habitual, maybe even an addiction in our life. So we have to beware of sin's beginnings uprooting it quickly when we see it, ruthlessly eliminating those things from our life. Now, part of, what makes, part of what makes seeing sin so difficult is that like the growth of a tree, the growth of sin is subtle. And without careful watchfulness, we're just not going to see sin growing in our life. It takes a careful watchfulness. More often than not, sin works more like the tides than the tidal waves. It's just the tides casually creeping in one inch at a time before it's grabbed you and won't let go. Maybe you could think of it this way. Before we ever desert Jesus, we always drift from Jesus. The drift always happens first and the drift is so hard to see. So ask yourself today, Is there any area in your life where you're just detecting that slow, small, gradual drift? Is there any area in your life where you're sensing a coldness to Jesus? These things are slow, they're subtle. The question is not, do you hate Jesus? It's not the main question right now. The main question is, is your heart growing in a love of the things of this world? Just loving the things of this world a little more than the God that you once loved so very much. Can you see that anywhere in your heart, anywhere in your life? And because these small drifts are so hard to see, I would love to give you some homework this week. To take your Bible and to spend 10 minutes in Psalm 139. And I want to encourage you to read verses 23 and 24. Here's what they say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want you just to encourage you to grab your Bible, 10 minutes, read that verse, and then sit with Jesus for 10 minutes and ask him to show you that, to search your heart, to show you if there's any grievous way in you. Any sort of beginnings of sin that are setting you on a trajectory that is going to be bad and terrible and death-producing in your life. So personal watchfulness. We have to be careful to to watch ourselves personally. But it's not just a personal watchfulness that's called for in this passage. There's also a communal watchfulness. Now, this is really the the stress of what James is getting at in in this passage, to to make sure that we're watching the community around us, paying paying attention to what's happening around us. Uh, Listen to these last two verses again. James says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. James is saying it's it's not just you that is prone to wander. No, it's not just you. Look around at your church family. Look around at those in your group. Look around at your friends. They are also prone to wonder. 
They are also prone to leave the God that they love. And James is saying, you, not, not, not pastors, not people on a church staff somewhere. He's saying, no, no, you are a vital part of God's plan to bring back wanderers. You are a vital part of that plan. You are part of God's rescue team. That is one of the jobs God has given you and God has given me. You are God's means. You are God's means to keep your brothers and sisters safe and to bring back wondering brothers and sisters. Now look at what James goes on to say here. In verses 19 and 20, he goes on to say, My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Could you do anything more meaningful in another human being's life than to save their soul from death? to bring them back to Jesus where a multitude of their sins will be forgiven. There's just nothing more meaningful we could do to another person. There's no greater gift you can give a wanderer than your watchfulness. There's no greater gift, your loving pursuit, your willingness to be used by God to bring them back to God. There's no greater gift that you can give. Now, I wanna pause here for a moment and linger over this. And I want to make sure that you connect this passage to a real person. This this passage isn't to be read abstractly. It's meant to be connected to an actual person. James seems to have in mind here in these couple of verses, someone who's been around Jesus, maybe even expressed a love of Jesus, but they've, they've wondered from Jesus. Like the prodigal in Luke 15, they, they are way out in the far country. They are a long way from their home with God. James wants this passage connected to a person who that is true for, who, who is in the far country, left the God that they love. So, so think about that for a moment. Who, who are those people in your life? Maybe that's a son or a daughter. Maybe that's a parent. Maybe that's a sibling. Maybe that's a neighbor. Maybe that's a friend or a coworker. But James wants you to read this with that person in mind. He wants you to to see that person behind this text. And I want to make sure I let this passage produce the hope in you that it's meant to produce. This passage is, is reflecting the, the heart of God, that God loves prodigals. He loves those who have wandered away from him. He'll, he'll leave the 99 to go and find them. Jesus, God in the flesh, left the safety of heaven. He put on human flesh. He lived perfectly among us. He died in our place for our sin to bring us back home to God. This is God's heart that we're seeing in this passage. And James wants to take God's heart and he wants to plant it in us. He wants us to become like God in this way, to be people who are pursuing prodigals, who are going after those who have, who have wandered away from Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we pursue prodigals? How do we go after people who are in the far country? Well, let, let me just end by giving you some encouragement down that, that road. 
And this could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but let me just give you four words to describe and and to help direct us as we are going after pursuing prodigals, as we're letting faith work itself out in watchfulness, communal watchfulness. Here's how we can bring a person back from the far country. Um, The first word is prayerfully, prayerfully. I love how John Bunyan reminds us of the place of prayer in in our life generally, and it definitely applies to this area of our life. He says, you can can do more than pray after you've prayed. And just hear that again. You, You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. This is where it starts. He's just saying this is the most foundational thing that we can do is pray. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray that God would break our hearts over prodigals, over those who have walked away from him. When is the last time you have wept over a wanderer? When is the last time it just brought you to tears to think about a person who, who once expressed a love of Jesus and who has now walked away from Jesus. We, we can pray not only for ourselves, we can pray for the prodigal, for the one who has, who has walked away. We can pray that God would, would come into their life, break down all the barriers that exist between him and them, that he would re-win their heart over. We can pray for ourselves. we can pray for them. That's the first word, prayerfully. That's, that's how we pursue prodigals. Here's the second word, attentively, attentively. Rescuing wanderers begins with attentive watchfulness. It, it requires you and I not just to think about ourselves, but to think about others. How is that person doing? How is their heart Where are they in danger spiritually right now? It it, it makes us think that way about others. Some wander away theologically. They just slowly stop believing the essentials of the faith. Some wander away morally. Slowly, subtly, their life just begins to drift away from Jesus. Some wander away relationally slowly, subtly fading away from Jesus' loving community in their life. And just like Jesus calls us to be attentive in watching our own lives, he is calling us to be attentive to watching the lives of others. Not self-righteously, not so we can be petty, not so we can beat others up, but, but lovingly so that we can, we can stay sensitive to the spiritual condition of those around us. So we bring prodigals back prayerfully and attentively. And then here's the third word. We do that wisely, wisely. Listen again to what James says. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone, you might just underline that word, someone brings him back. Jesus doesn't say you are going to bring back everyone who has wandered away from him. That's not what Jesus says. He says, someone, someone, walking a brother and sister out of the far country back to their home with God is such an amazing privilege. Uh, But before we do that, we should ask Jesus, am I the someone for this person? Is this the part in, in your purposes, oh God, that you would want me to play? Do I have relational history with this person? Does this person trust me? 
right? Is, is there someone else that could be more effective? Is there someone else that would be more likely to be listened to by this person? So in our watching, we need wisdom to know, God, are you calling me to go after, to initiate this conversation with this brother or this sister? And here's the fourth word, gently. Gently, how do we restore someone who has wandered away from God? We, we do that gently. This is Paul in Galatians chapter six, verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's the way we restore people who have walked away from the Lord, in a spirit of gentleness. You cannot force a person in the far country to come back home. You cannot do that. That's, that's not the way of Jesus. No, we humbly, we tenderly, we gently love people back to Jesus. That's how Jesus has called, called us to bring prodigals back to him. I love how John Newton talks about this. In a letter to a friend, he said this, I pray the Lord to give you a gentle and loving spirit towards all men. Now, why is that? Well, that's what we need if we're going to rescue wanderers. We need gentleness. We need patience in the pursuit of prodigals. We need a gentleness as we go after those in the far country. Now, where does that gentleness come from? Listen to John Newton as he goes on to describe this. He says, I pray the Lord to give you a gentle and loving spirit towards all men and a practical conviction that grace alone has made you to differ. That's where gentleness comes from. A deep practical conviction that grace alone has made us to differ. I, th think about your life right now. Why are you not in the far country? Here's the Bible's answer to that question. Grace, that is the only explanation. Why haven't you deserted Jesus? The only answer is the preserving grace of God. Why has sin not just come unhinged in your life, wrecking everything in your life? Here is the only answer the Bible gives. It's the restraining grace of God. Why hasn't God just thrown his hands up with us? It's because of the patient grace of God. What has made us to differ? The only answer answer to that question is grace, the amazing grace of God in church. This is our story. We are the, we are the one who, who has left the God that, that we once loved. We, we are that one. We are the lost sheep. We are the prodigal son. And in all of our wonderings, Jesus has come and rescued us. He, he lived for us. He died for us. And he rose from the grave for us. Our story, start to finish from the front to the end, is a story of grace. It's a story of grace and may we, the church, stay in the story. May we walk in the footsteps of our big brother, Jesus, chasing after him as he is chasing after prodigals. Amen. Let's pray together. I wanna give you just a moment to allow the spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful and to wipe away what wouldn't be helpful today. And I, I'm gonna take just a moment to address 
various people who are watching and listening today. For some of us today, you are in the far country. You, you, are, you have walked away from Jesus. And I just want to look at you and say today, we want you to come back home. We want you to come back home. We want you back. Jesus wants you back. A wandering heart is an unsatisfied heart. Sin always overpromises and it always underdelivers. But Jesus, right now in this moment, Jesus, the bread of life himself, is offering himself to you. He's, the, he, he's what the deepest parts of your heart are craving right now. We want you back. So will you come back? There's always a way back. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there is always a ways back. But will you come back right, right now in this moment, turning from the far country and coming back to the God? And some of us today, it's not an issue of coming back to God, but of just coming to God for the first time. And the, the risen Jesus stands today with arms wide open, ready to receive you for the very first time. And this is, what it, what, this is what it means to come to Jesus. It means to turn from your sin that you know disqualifies you before God and to turn from all of the good things in your life that you think somehow qualify you before the Lord. And, it, and it's just you throwing your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You holding up your life to God and saying, I am trusting Jesus, save me. And our God stands arms wide open, ready to rescue you today. Throw your life upon Jesus. And for the rest of us, this passage reminds us of the amazing grace of God. This is, this is our story. Jesus has come to us in the far country and rescued us. And he's now inviting us to be a part of that story. He's through this passage, planting a vision in your heart to move you out into the world to do that rescuing work. So God, would you help us in that? God, would you, would you put in us a deep prayerfulness? God, would you make us attentive to the hearts of people around us? God, would you give us wisdom and gentleness? Oh God, we need you in this. And I pray for every one of us right now who have someone around us that is in the far country. God, we pray that you might use us, our life, our lips to bring them back home. Oh God, would you do it? And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray, amen.